Let's jump in at verse 1, chapter 8. Revelation 8. Let's read through the whole thing and then we'll uh, go back, make some comment, and point out some cool stuff along the way. Revelation 8, verse 1. It says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of that star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an, angle, and heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Big picture idea today on the top of your study notes. It's easy to understand in basic terms. It's not always easy to understand how that plays out in our lives and in the world. Which is to say, Revelation's not easy. The truth of this, we know from Scripture and from our lives, but it's not easy to picture. The big picture idea today in chapter 8 is that God is in the process already of establishing his kingdom. God is in the process already of establishing his kingdom, like it or not. The central question for us today is whether his kingdom is being established in you. The central question for us today is not so much, what does this thing mean, but what does this mean for God's establishing his kingdom in your heart and in your mind? Don't miss, don't miss that forest for the trees of what this means and what that means and what your view is and what this means later on. Those are helpful. And hopefully as we continue to work through Revelation, those details help us see that big picture. But if you don't have that big picture, when you're reading through Revelation, you've missed the forest. Which is the, the, the kingdom of God being established in you is the goal. And it's already happening. It's already happening. We know it's already happening because of Luke 17 
and Matthew 24, which I pointed out last week. If you're going to read through Revelation, read Matthew 24, read Luke 17. That's something for you to look at this week. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, making the same kind of mistakes that we make, speaking to the Pharisees in not seeing the forest because they were focused on the trees. Listen to Luke 17, 20 and 21 for the note takers. Luke 17, 20 and 21. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming. Notice he said is not coming. He doesn't say will not come. There is a present day sense as well as a future sense in what Jesus was saying. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Some translations, good translations say, the kingdom of God is in you. So what we see in chapter 8 is that God is in the process already of establishing the kingdom of God, like it or not. And for those who like it, They will be the ones found praying for God's kingdom in chapter 8. They will be the ones found praying for God's kingdom to be established and for his name to be made known as the name above all names and the king of all kings and the Lord of our lords. Revelation 1.5, earlier on here, speaking of Jesus, says that he is ruler of kings of earth. He is the ruler of kings of earth, as in already the ruler of the kings of earth, which is to say that Jesus began the establishment of God's kingdom in our hearts by coming to die and be raised again. Jesus already began the establishment of God's kingdom in our hearts by coming to die and to be raised again, and in so doing, achieved victory over death and sin for us. Someday he will return to finish what was started, and when he does, the seventh trumpet will blast, and it's going to get serious. But today is not the seventh. Today is the preceding six. Actually, four of the preceding six. This week, we look at a transition from the seals that we've looked at for the last couple of weeks to the trumpets that we'll look at this week and next week. And they actually are parallel accounts. The same thing that happens in the seals happens in the trumpets, also happens in the bowls. But this is for us, the trumpets. Let's jump back in at verse 1. This begins the first section there in your study guide. There are three sections that emerge from the text. Uh, this is in your study notes here. The first is this, the first five verses, our prayers will be answered. Our prayers will be answered. Got a cool point to make about this uh, if you want to follow along. Go ahead, verse 3, first three words and hit pause. When the Lamb. When the Lamb. I want to remind you that the Lamb, who is Christ, is still in this scene here because this is still, at least for this one verse, a vision of things that are coming from the throne room. Everything that happens, in fact, after chapters 4 and 5 comes from the authority of the throne room. But this is the last time when we see the Lamb as a part of the throne room. We'll see it again in uh, chapter 14, I believe it is. So here in verse 1, we see the Lamb still here. And it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. There's sort of a weird thing going on here where this one verse should probably be at the end of the preceding chapter because it's the last of the seals and concludes that whole part about the seals. So I I contend that verse 1 is kind of in the wrong place, uh, which, just for the record, is not heresy. Uh, The numbers and the chapters were put there by a human later on so that we could simply know how to get to those places 
in uh, the Bible. So here, uh, verse 1 thematically goes with the part that precedes it. Uh, but for some weird reason, it's listed as verse 1 here in chapter 8. We have the same problem, by the way, at the end of this chapter. Uh, the last verse, 13, probably fits better at the beginning of chapter 9. Uh, that'll make sense later on. So, the Lamb is still in the scene because it's still a vision of things coming from the throne room as the seat of authority in the entire universe. And we saw that back in chapters 4 and 5, and in chapter 6, the Lamb opened the first six seals of judgment. And uh, last week we had sort of a, a parenthetical reminder, sort of a, an interlude in chapter 7 that the saints are protected by the blood of the Lamb during, uh, during the spiritual battle called life. I don't think that that was tribulation in the future. This is tribulation happening now. We talked about that last week. So what we have here is the Lamb in this one verse. Um, but it's the last verse of the Lamb until chapter 14. So it says this, verse 1, moving on to 2. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, which is to say there was this, this, this storm coming, and this silence is the calm before the storm. There's this uh, tradition in Judaism that saw silence as something that accompanied judgment. So this verse here about silence is saying the judgment is coming. Uh, it fulfills, in fact, if you want to take notes on this, it fulfills, in fact, uh, quite a few places in the Old Testament that prophesy that when God returns in the person of Jesus the second time to bring the final judgment, there will be silence. There will be silence. Habakkuk 2.20, Zephaniah 1.7, and Zechariah 2.13. Habakkuk 2.20, Zephaniah 1.7, and Zechariah 2.13. So verse 1 sets the scene for the blowing of the trumpets, Look at verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Seven trumpets were given to them. Notice the trumpets, like we talked about last week, were given to them by God. There's a sense in which all of these judgments are being carried out by messengers of God, but they're given their authority from God himself. Uh, one other thing to note here is that suddenly we have four verses following the second verse that have nothing to do with trumpets. We all of a sudden have verses that have nothing to do with trumpets, and verse 2 just talked about preparing to blow trumpets, which means that there's this sort of insertion, this sort of interlude of a few verses among all of this trumpet stuff going on around it. Let's look at what those verses there mean, because this is, this is key for us to understand this first section. Verse 3. Another angel, this is not one of the four, this is a different angel. Another angel came, I'm sorry, not one of the seven angels. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. Uh, a golden censer is just a vessel for uh, burning incense that was used in worship. Uh, usually a, a golden brass kind of uh, vessel and often had uh, small chains on it. So the priest uh, could, could swing it around and the incense could waft around among the people, and that indicated the prayers of the saints going up to God. That's what the incense uh, was supposed to represent. So the angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. This is verse 3. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God 
from the hand of the angel. And scripture, incense represents the prayers of the people of God. Now watch while something interesting happens. This is cool. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer that was filled with the prayers of the saints and also filled it with fire from the altar. Fire signifies purifying. Filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And as a result, there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is why we said this section is about the saints' prayers being answered. Uh, The incense, the prayers of the saints, are pictured as being sort of replaced or at least mixed with fire from the altar and put into that censer and thrown. This is a picture, of course, and thrown onto the earth. And the result was peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. We are meant here to understand that God's judgment, God's vindication of His name by establishing His kingdom now and later, we are meant to understand that God's judgment, God's vindication of His name comes in response to the prayers of the people. God's vindication of His name by which He establishes His kingdom now and later comes at the response of the prayers of the people. Which means that the prayers of the people are not about vindicating themselves. The prayers of the people represented by this image are in line with the purposes of God's judgment. Which is to say that the people's prayers are not for vindicating themselves, but are for the vindication of God's glory. Jesus taught his disciples to say, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. He didn't teach them to say, pray as much as possible about your kingdom. This is symbolic of the prayers of saints who are praying for God's glory to be made known. These are the prayers of saints in chapter 6 who cry out, How long, O Lord? Those saints under the altar who are crying out, How long, O Lord, till you vindicate yourself and make your glory known? This isn't new in Revelation. It's picking up on a theme that's throughout the Scriptures. Uh, Psalms has tons of places where these kinds of prayers happen. The how long, O Lord, kinds of prayers. Psalm 4 says, How long will the wicked dishonor the Messiah and love what is worthless and seek lies? Psalm 6 says, How long until we're healed and no longer do the things that provoke God's wrath? Is that your prayer? Psalm 13, How long will it seem like God has forgotten us and is hiding His face while the enemy exalts over us? Psalm 35, How long will the Lord look on before He delivers? Psalm 62, How long will the righteous be attacked? Psalm 74, 79, 80, 90, 94, 119. And Revelation 6, how long, 
until God comes to vindicate His glory. That is in keeping with the kind of prayers modeled here. So we end the section with the challenge for us. Are you praying prayers that see the big picture of the God who deserves every ounce of glory? Are your prayers about God's goodness and glory and the establishment of His kingdom or are they about the establishment of your kingdom? Think about it. For what are you praying? Are you praying for easy? I don't see easy in these prayers. I see whatever you want to do, Lord, I give myself to it. Those are scary prayers. The kinds of prayers that people who care about following Christ more than all else will pray. The kind of praying that comes from a heart It longs for God to vindicate Himself because you know in your bones from which you've been saved that He deserves every ounce of praise and glory. (laughs) And then when you pray pray, pray prayers like that, the hard stuff just is less hard. The circumstantial stuff is less important. But what somebody else thinks seems to not matter. The I don't have money for this stuff fades away. The I'm frustrated in my job stuff seems less weighty. A vision of the goodness and glory of God as the goal of all creation and of our lives, a vision of that for us that motivates our prayer life is what will help us make it. Let's look at 6 through 12, which is the first four of the trumpets. And they symbolize the partial wrath, not the full wrath. This isn't everything yet. This is the partial wrath on the world. So verse 6 begins this second section where we see the first four trumpets that announce God's wrath on the world. Look at verse 6. It says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Trumpets can serve any number of functions in Scripture. They announce a day of remembrance. They announce triumph. They coronate a king. Uh, Most likely here they represent judgment. And not just judgment that has not yet come, but judgment that is already happening. And I say judgment that's already happening because what we'll see is the destruction is not a total destruction. It's a third. It's a minority. It's not everything. It's a picture of how God is undoing creation here in Revelation. Read on. Verse 7. It says, The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. 
Then it says a third of the earth, remember this is God's partial wrath on creation, a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and for some strange reason that nobody has a good explanation for, all green grass was burned up. Everything is a third until this green grass thing and uh, feel free to figure out the right reason why nobody else has really yet. Um, The point of God's bringing partial wrath on creation is that what we see here is a picture of God undoing the created order. And what does sin do if it's not undo order? God's a God of order. He put together the creation and the heavens and the earth to work a certain way. And when sin entered the world, that started going backwards. You don't have to have me tell you the practical implications of that. We all understand the idea of of entropy. Things are breaking down. The older we get, the more they break down. The more we know about the world, the more we see that the world doesn't work right. What God's picturing here is the undoing of His own created order as part of His judgment now. There's also a cool thing to see here in the uh, first four trumpets. Uh, It's that they correspond to the four sources of life that the ancients uh, saw as very important. And they were uh, land, sea, freshwater, and sky. And we'll see those here. Read along. The second angel, verse 8, blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. We just had the land. This is the sea. And the third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. Not all of them, but a third of them. And a third of the ships were destroyed. This is a picture here uh, beyond anything anyone has ever seen. So I want you to picture in your mind's eye here a, a huge mountain. And set that mountain on blazing fire. And then ima- imagine uh, some giant angelic being big enough to have that blazing mountain in its hand, take that mountain and throw it in the ocean, which would be untold tsunamis all over the ocean. There would be uh, steam and smoke rising for miles and miles from the water. There would be a a huge displacement of water, and it would be easy to imagine uh, sea life dying and ships being destroyed. This isn't just a little hailstorm. This is not just a relatively small hurricane that affects like a single coast. This is a picture of God's judgment on a massive scale, and yet not total destruction. It's a partial wrath. Which is to say, God takes His holiness really seriously. This is partial. (laughs) Partial destruction. Total destruction is something which will be interesting. We'll get there later. Verse 10. It says this, the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven. We'll talk about that a little more next week. A great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Talk about land, about sea. This is the fresh water. God undoing creation. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Wormwood is, wormwood is just a bitter plant and this demonstrates how uh, the water supply was uh, being polluted. 
Uh, wormwood is just a bitter plant and has a poisonous extract uh, that can kill, obviously. So God's partial wrath continues. Verse 12, this is the, the fourth source of life in the ancient sort of uh, cosmology, a way of thinking about the source of life. This is the fourth one of the, the skies, the heavenly bodies. Verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. What we are seeing pictured here in these judgments is that God has made war against sin, and that has implications for creation itself as well as humanity. The implications for creation itself are being pictured here. The implications for humanity are made more explicit uh, next week in chapter 9. But the whole picture is a picture of God making war against sin and God here specifically undoing the created order. He's showing what it's like when He makes war against sin, which He has to do as the perfectly infinite and holy God of the universe. He cannot abide, live with, have sin in His presence. So He has no choice, if indeed He is perfect, to make war against sin because His holiness demands it. So this is a picture of what happens when the kingdom of God is not in us. There's a picture of what happens to someone when the kingdom of God is not in them. Sure, it's a picture of creation. We'll see more about humanity later on. But I just want to say, how can we, as believers in Christ who read these scriptures and who know what we know, how can we miss, when we read through Revelation, that God is calling us, every one of us who follows Him, to be engaged in a spiritual war? How can we miss that? If part of this is a picture of what happens to someone when the kingdom of God is not in them, it is tragic. It's tragic. Eternally tragic to miss the spiritual war that is being waged in human hearts for God to establish His kingdom in our hearts and in this world. That is why these verses and our lives are calling us to be people who trumpet the end of the world. To be people who are making known the goodness of glory of God. To prepare everyone we are able for Jesus' coming. So that we and others can be prepared for His final judgment. That's what we're called to do. We'll get to verse 13 next week. I want to end by asking you some questions. What we've just seen here in Revelation in the last few weeks are pictures of God's wrath on sin. These are pictures of God's wrath on sin. His war against rebellious creation specifically here. So I want to ask you a few questions. 
How serious do you think God is about His own glory? How serious do you think God is about His own glory? Do you think that His glory matters this much? Do you long for His coming and for Him to fully establish His kingdom? Do you think, and I hope you do, that it is a serious crime that every single human whom God made to know and glorify Him has used the gifts He's given us to rebel against Him? That is a heinous crime, God says in Scripture, that deserves eternal punishment. Do you think that human sin warrants the kind of judgment that we see in Revelation? Do you see that human sin warrants the kind of judgment we see in Revelation? Because if you think that God is overreacting, if you think that what we see here is kind of overstepping His bounds, as if God is overreacting, then your view of God is way too small. And your view of you, way too big. The scope of this devastation is meant to point us to how great God is. He believes it a crime worth eternal punishment to not care about His glory when He's the one who made us. I pray that Revelation gives you and gives us this weighty sense of how serious God is about His own holiness and His own glory. How serious are you? How serious are you about God's holiness being made known in your life? Is that why you pray? Is that why you're here? Is that why you work? Is that why you give? Is that why you serve? Is God's holiness and His glory the motivation for your life? Or is it yours? Is it for your little piddly kingdom to eke out everything you can now? May we continue to be people who have a vision of God that comes from the Scriptures that instruct us and inform us and that motivate us. Because from that vision of who God is, we can live a life that enjoys the goodness and glory that comes from His heart. We can enjoy the hope we have and the freedom that we know that comes from His righteousness achieved for us on cross. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that right now, in this moment, You would make clear to us, You would make known to each of us the next step of obedience by which You will establish Yourself as ruler of our lives. 
Make clear to us, Lord, the next step of obedience that you would have us take so that you could more fully establish yourself as Lord and as King of our lives. Forgive us for continued rebellion against your work in us. Forgive us for perceiving our own aims and goals as more important than you receiving glory. Forgive us with the same blood of Christ that comes from the cross. And our hope that you will return and enable us to have perfect relationship with you. We look forward to that day, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.